Good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Good. That music wasn't there for me last service, and so I'm glad it was there. It helps pump me up. It's the intro music. It's great. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name's Kevin Wilsey, and I'm the Minister of Operations and Community Groups here at Norris Ferry. So thank you for coming and joining us in worship this morning. What a great time of worship so far. So um, we as a church have been walking through the book of Luke. Right? And we have been sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing all about the, the, the feet of Luke, sorry, hearing all about the life of Jesus, hearing about that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and Luke has been showing us and giving us that certainty. And throughout this journey, we've been able to see God's heart for the lost, for the poor, for the broken. We've been able to see God's heart for those who are enslaved to sin or who are considered an outcast in society. And last week in Luke 14, we got to see a glimpse of the father's, what the Father's house would be like. As Pastor Tracy shared last week, the kingdom of God will be filled with those who embrace Jesus and his teachings. It will not be filled with those of a certain social status, but filled with all, the rich and the poor the Jew and the Gentile, the powerful and the marginalized. And we come to chapter 15 in Luke, and Luke provides for us a greater picture of God's heart for his people. And this morning we are going to see God rejoices over the sinner who repents, and God reveals the need for repentance to the self-righteous. Let me repeat that. God rejoices over the sinner who repents, and God reveals the need for repentance to the self-righteous. So before we dive in, let me open us in prayer. Father God, I pray this morning, Father, we would see this beautiful truth of your grace and your love us. Father, that you rejoice over your children who repent and come to you. And Father, I pray that this truth will lead all of us to repentance and lead us as a church to worship you more and celebrate with the lost who are now found. Father, would you be with me this morning as I teach your word as Luke 14 ended I pray, may those who have ears, let them hear. Let us hear your word, and may it penetrate our hearts this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn in your Bibles or in your phones to Luke 15, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible or your phone, it'll be up on the screen. But starting Luke 15, verse 1 and 2, real fast. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? So right here in these first two verses, we find our main point of the whole passage. These two verses, they set the scene for what's about to come. And it ties the whole passage together. 
Jesus standing outside somewhere, maybe in a marketplace, and all these tax collectors and sinners are, are coming, are drawing near to hear him speak and teach. They have all seen and heard what he has done throughout all the land and even in their own town. And so they come to hear him because everyone is excited and wants to see this one who is calling himself the Messiah, the Son of God. What does he have to say? What is he going to do? And so this crowd gathers, and they've gathered around him, and it's a a diverse crowd. It's a crowd mixed with tax collectors and sinners who are known as the outcasts in society, who is known as, as the ones who no one wants to gather around or hang out with. See, tax collectors are known as traitors. Jewish people who gave into the Roman government and started to collect money and steal from their own people. It's like the IRS today. I'm just kidding. Don't quote me on that. But sinners were also there, gathered with them. Immoral people, living immoral lifestyles, they did not obey God's word, but instead they lived contrary to God's word. They did what they wanted to do. They were the unclean of society. But also in this crowd, we don't just have tax collectors and sinners, but we have Pharisees and scribes, the religious, the rule followers, the holy ones. Those who looked down upon and wouldn't even come near to tax collectors or sinners, right? For them to come in contact with them, to be in their presence would make the Pharisee unholy. And we can see this mindset come out, this idea come out in verse 2. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. They say these words with contempt. This man, this holy man, he's supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to be the son of God, the most holy. But yet he receives sinners and he eats with them? They say it in disgust, grumbling to each other and grumbling towards Jesus. This guy, who who does he think he is? That's how I imagined it, right? They believed the Son of God would not do this. If Jesus was truly holy, he wouldn't be hanging out with sinners or tax collectors. And the moment feels just like that. It feels tense. What is is Jesus going to do? What is he going to say? These Pharisees are, are grumbling and complaining to him. Everyone is waiting to see how Jesus is going to respond. And Jesus, he turns to the crowd and he answers the Pharisees' complaint with pointing them to the very heart of God. In the next three parables, Jesus shows the crowd that God rejoices over the sinner who repents. God rejoices over the sinner who repents who repents. Look at verse 4, the first parable, starting in verse 4. 
What man of you, Jesus speaking to the crowd, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, Jesus answered them and says, look, we all know a shepherd would leave the 99 sheep in the field to go after the one that is lost until he finds it. That was what a shepherd would do. That was the culture, right? A shepherd would not stand there and say, oh, you win some, you lose some. It's okay. Let them go. No. Why? Because that was his livelihood. He would go after that sheep. He would find that sheep because he is the protector of the sheep. It was his job. It was his duty. He knows these sheep. He cares for them. He would search and he wouldn't stop until the sheep was found. And when it was found, he would rejoice regardless of the burden of picking that sheep up, putting it on his shoulders, and walking all the way back to town. He would still rejoice because that sheep is now found. And when he got home, he tells his friends, and what do they do? They all join in with his rejoicing. They celebrate with him. This sheep that was lost is now found. And Jesus says, this is how God responds to the sinner who repents. Verse 7, there will be more, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Jesus is telling the crowd that God rejoices over the sinner with more joy than the shepherd who finds his sheep. A sinner is found in their repentance and there is rejoicing in heaven. And then Jesus moves into the second parable and he continues to respond to the Pharisees' complaint. Verse 8. Or what woman, shout out to women, pay attention. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So just some background, the ten silver coins here are worth a lot of money. They're very valuable. Just like the sheep was valuable to the shepherd, the coin could actually buy one sheep. 
So it's very valuable to this woman. Commentators say this coin was also a part of the woman's headdress that was part of her dowry that had been handed down to her family. So it is something that, that is worth a lot. It means a lot to the woman. It's like a diamond in a wedding ring. Women, if you look down at that ring, how important is that diamond to you? It means so much. It's been passed down to you. It was given to you by the love of your life. There's stories that come with it. It's very valuable. It's very special. And again, Jesus answers by saying, we all know if a woman loses one of these coins, she would light a lamp. The homes are dark, had very little windows. She lights a lamp gets as much light in the house as possible. She retraces her steps. She gently and diligently sweeps the floor in order to get that light that is shining to glimmer off that coin so that she can find it. She's searching carefully and diligently for this coin. She's looking for it. And when she finds the lost coin, she calls her friends together and they rejoice and they celebrate because what was lost is found. A few years ago, more than a few years ago, I guess, my wife, Caitlin, she uh, lost the main diamond on her wedding ring. I was out of the house. I was going to school in seminary at the time, went to school and then to work. And so I was gone that day. Um, But that diamond had been passed down to me from from my grandma. And Caitlin calls me up and she's freaking out because this diamond is no longer on her finger. It is missing from her ring. So what does she do? What would anyone do? You're looking, you're searching. She's retracing her steps. She's getting flashlights on floors, hands and knees, looking for the glimmer of the diamond. She turns on all the lights. There never can be enough light at this moment, but this this diamond that is valuable to her, she is searching for it everywhere. She's in panic mode. She doesn't want to turn on the vacuum. She doesn't want to lose that diamond, right? But she's looking. Well, eventually I got home, and she told me that she searched the whole house. She's looked everywhere. I was like, okay, let's retrace your steps again. She walked with me, what she did in the morning. She got up, went in the bathroom. She washed her hands. She grabbed that hand towel. Well, on that hand towel was that diamond stuck to the towel. And what did we do? We embraced. We jumped. We hugged. We celebrated because that diamond was found, right? We rejoiced. Now, I didn't throw a huge party, but you get the picture. (laughs) Okay? We rejoiced because what was lost was found. And Jesus says, God rejoices. The angels rejoice. There is a party going on in heaven over one sinner who repents and is found. God's joy is even more so than this woman's joy when she finds her lost coin. What was lost is found. And I would think people in the crowd are starting to understand Jesus' point, but not all are. And so Jesus 
he goes a little further. He tells another parable, but he pumps the brakes, the, pumps the brakes a little bit, and he goes into even more details. He takes this truth that God rejoices over the sinner who repents, and he fleshes it out even more. Look at verse 11, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. All right, let's stop there real quick. Okay, father had two sons. The youngest son came to him. He said, Father, I want my share of your inheritance. I want my money. I want what's coming to me. But I want you to understand, listening to this, I want you to understand what this means. Back then, sons usually did not come to the father before they were dead to demand their inheritance. So by the younger son coming to the father to demand his inheritance while the father was still alive, was basically saying, Father, I don't want anything to do with you. You are dead to me, so go ahead and give me my money, give me my inheritance, and let's go our separate ways. So what does the father do? Second part of verse 12, and he divided his property between them. The father grants his son's request. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. I wonder who sent the famine. A, a famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You see, the youngest son took his money and journeyed far away from his father. And what did he do with it? He spent all he had on reckless living. And then a famine came, and he began to be in great need. So no one had food. No one was sharing food. He had nothing else to, to sell to get food. So he found a job, but that job was from the bottom of the barrel. If you ever watched that show, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, you ever seen it? This job would be the worst job on that show. And notice in verse 16, he was even lower than the pigs. He longed to be fed with what the pigs were eating. This is rock bottom, and I do not have too much time to get into more details here, but I want you to notice one thing. Notice one thing. This is what sin did to his life. Instead of honoring his father, this young son chased his own passions, gratified his own desires, and sin ended up destroying him. His sin led him to be fatherless. His sin led him to be homeless. His sin led him to be friendless. His sin led him to be without food. 
See, this part of the parable, it shows us a young man living for himself and found himself living by himself. Sin separated him from everything. So Jesus, speaking to the crowd, speaking to the tax collectors and sinners who are separated from society, who have chosen to chase their own desires, he shows them that they're like the younger son. That their sin has separated them from God the Father. That their sin has separated them from God the Father. And Jesus is not just speaking to the crowd, but he's also speaking to you. He's also speaking to me. And so some of us in this room, at this moment, we find ourselves in the same position as the younger son. We've decided to chase our own desires to put other things above honoring and obeying God. And we came to a point in our life, right? We came to a point in our our life where we wanted nothing to do with God and his ways, but we decided to seek our own pleasures even if they were in direct disobedience to God. And what did this do? This continues to lead us further and further away from God the Father. And so you now find yourself in a faraway land, in a faraway country, in a faraway place, and you continue to succumb to temptation and sin, and it is destroying your life. It has separated you not just from your relationships, not just from your family and and friends, not just broken up things at the workplace, but it has separated you from God. Let me tell you, there's hope. There is hope for the youngest, youngest son. There is hope for the tax collector. There is hope for the sinner. And there is hope for you and me. And I know that because the story continues. Look at verse 17. Let's see what Jesus says next. But when he came to himself, so the younger son, when he comes to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And here Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of repentance. The younger son at rock bottom, because of his sin, comes to realize his rebellion, comes to realize what his sin is. He came to himself. See, the younger son recognizes his sin in light of the father's goodness. The younger son recognizes his sin in light of the father's goodness. He's a servant in a field begging for food from the pigs. But in his father's house, his hired servants have more than enough to eat. He realizes his sin and he realizes his father is generous towards those who serve him. Then what does he do? 
He turns from his sin and he turns to his father. I will arise and go to my father and say, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And then he humbly surrenders his life. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is what true repentance looks like. Recognizing your sin in light of God's goodness, turning from your sin and turning to God, and then humbly laying your life down, surrendering your life. But now let's see how the Father reacts once we repent. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father's not even paying attention on that because the father is saying, servants, quickly bring that best robe. Grab the ring. Put the sandals on his feet. My son who was lost, he is now found. Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's party. My son has returned. He was dead and is alive again. His son, no doubt, still in his torn and disgusting clothes, smelling like pigs, makes his way back to the father. See, he doesn't clean himself up. He doesn't try to fix himself first. But repentance leads him back to the father. And as he was still a long way off, he's the father sees him coming down the road, and he has compassion on him. And the father doesn't wait, but the father sprints and runs to him, and he embraces him, and he hugs him, and he shows love to him, and he kisses him. And the son confesses, saying, I'm not worthy to be your son. But the father says, quick, put the best robe on him. Put the ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Feet. You, son, may have lost your identity, but I know exactly who you are. You are my son. See, the father immediately shows forgiveness. The father immediately shows his love. after he does that, what does he do? It's time to rejoice. It's time to celebrate. Let's eat. Let's party. This, my son who is dead, is now alive again, for he is lost. He was lost, but is now found. The father rejoices over his son who repents. So you tax collector, you sinner, you sitting in the crowd this morning, when we find ourselves deep within our sin at rock bottom, no place left to go, no nowhere to turn, no hope in sight. And when we recognize our sin for what it is, rebellion against God, we must also remember God's goodness. The Father's goodness, that God in his goodness has not let us die in our sin. Right? The wages of sin is eternal death, but God in his goodness provided for us a free gift of eternal life through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus lived a perfect life without sin and went to the cross bearing our sin on his shoulders, paying our debt, dying and defeating the grave, all so that we can have life and we can have life with God, with our Father. Oh, what great love the Father has. As Ephesians 4 says, God being rich in his mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. And it is by God's grace that we are saved. And so we recognize our sin for what it is, we remember God's goodness, and we turn from our sin, and we turn to God, the Father, and we surrender our lives, saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be your son or daughter. And God, he responds with compassion. He responds with forgiveness. And he says, you are mine. You are my son and daughter. God clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. He puts that robe on you. He puts the ring on your finger and the sandals on your feet. And he says, you are mine. All because of the blood that was spilt through my son Jesus. All because of my love for you. He gives us our identity as a son and daughter and says, you are mine. You may have been lost, but now you are found. And God and the angels in heaven rejoice. The church rejoices. So Jesus, he shows the crowd that God receives sinners and rejoices over them. And Jesus shows the grumbling Pharisees that he reflects God because he is the son of God. So their complaint was Jesus is sitting and receiving sinners. Jesus shows them God rejoices over those who repent and come to me. And so Jesus can sit and be with sinners. And he's showing the Pharisees that I am the son of God. I reflect that. And even more so, church, we should reflect that. And we could stop right there. That is great news of what Christ has done for sinners. But we're not going to stop right there because Jesus doesn't stop right there. Jesus isn't finished. Remember, there are two sons. So there's still someone left in the crowd to address. Let's, let's continue and look. And this is where we will see Jesus is going to reveal the need for repentance to the self-righteous. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the elder son is angry and refused to go in. So the elder son was out in the field. He wasn't home when the younger son came back. And so when he came close, he heard the celebration. 
What was lost is now found. He heard the celebration. He heard the party going on, and he wanted to know what was going on. So he saw a servant. He called the servant over. The servant, probably in excitement, was like, your brother's back home. He was, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And your, your dad, he's throwing a party for him. And you would think that the elder son would say, my brother's home? But he doesn't. And he gets angry. And he gets mad. And he doesn't go into the celebration. He refuses. Look at the second part, verse 28 on. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. First notice, the father comes to him. The father entreated him. The father comes to show his love for his son. And he seeks to comfort him. But then the elder son is mad and he responds in anger. And his anger reveals his self-righteousness. Look, I, I've served you for years. I've never disobeyed your commands. You never gave me anything of value or celebrated me for what I have done. And look, you, you threw this son of yours a party after he threw away all that he gave you, all that you gave him? Do you see the self-righteousness there? Do you see that the elder son is just as far away and lost as the younger son? See, the elder son didn't serve his father because he loved his father. He served his father because he wanted something from his father. The elder son thought he is the one who deserves special attention. He is the one who deserves a special reward from the father based on all that he has done, based on his works. See, the elder son only sees his own righteousness. He even brings up the younger son's sin, showing the younger brother is unworthy of the father's love. The elder son's pride and entitlement and self-righteousness keep him from repenting and keep him from joining the celebration. And this is exactly what the Pharisees do. If you remember at the beginning of our passage, the Pharisees, they grumble. They grumble that Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And so Jesus, in the second part of this parable, he is showing them and revealing to them their self-righteousness through the elder son. The Pharisees, they wouldn't be caught dead doing that. The Pharisees, they want the sinner to receive judgment rather than receive salvation. They think their obedience to the law justifies them before God. That their self-righteousness makes them right before God. They use their moral record to put God and others in their place to look down upon them. They are more holy than these sinners. 
And let's look at how the father responds because I think it speaks directly to the self-righteousness. Verse 31 and 32. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He says, older son, Pharisee, my love for my children, it's the same. Your identity is that you are my son. You are not my son because of how much you do for me. Your identity as my son is not based on your works. Your your identity as my son is not based on your obedience to me, but your identity is that you are my son because of my love for you. You think you are righteous because of your works, but you can only be righteous because of my love. And so when a son of mine repents because of my love, then we rejoice. We celebrate your brother. My son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, Jesus reveals to the Pharisees that they need to repent of their self-righteousness and join in the celebration. To join in what God is doing in the lives of sinners. So let me ask you this this morning. How many of you have a difficult time detecting the fault in the elder son's thinking? How many of us sympathize with them? We think we've obeyed God's commands. We haven't run after sin like the younger son. We haven't been at rock bottom before. Listen, don't think that your works, your obedience to God's commands make you righteous or make you deserve something from God. Because if you think that, then you are just as lost as the younger son. Scripture shows us in in Romans 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, becoming worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. And we also know from Ephesians 2 that there is nothing we can do to be saved. It is not our works, our obedience, but it is God's grace. So some of us this morning, we need to hear the Father's response again. Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. He is revealing to you this morning to repent of your self-righteousness. He is saying, I love you. I love you so much that all that was mine, I have given to you through my son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only one who was righteous. He was the only one who obeyed my commands perfectly. He died for your self-righteousness. You don't have to try to prove yourself anymore. You can rest on my love for you. It was Jesus who has credited you righteousness. You are my son and my daughter because of Jesus. That is your identity. 
come and join in the celebration. Come and join in the work that my spirit is doing. Going through and showing my love to, to those who do not know me, who are as far away as the younger son. Come and join in. Repent of your sin and come and let's celebrate. And join me on my mission of, of what I have done by sending my son Jesus to die for you. Let's share that with others. Let's come together and celebrate. So Jesus, he shows us at the very heart of God, rejoices over those who repent, and he reveals to the self-righteous that we need to repent and we need to join in the celebrating. We need to reflect the very heart of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for showing us your heart towards sinners. That you, in your love, you rejoice in our repentance. That you are waiting for us with open arms to embrace us. And Father, I pray we will be a church that reflects your love. Father, may we never forget your goodness, that you are a forgiving God, a God of grace. And it is because of your grace that we can come to you and repent of our rebellion against you. Father, if there are any in here this morning that believe they have rebelled against you by living in sin or living in their own self-righteousness and they want to repent or turn away from that, Father, I pray that they would take the next few moments and just do that, that they would confess their sin to you. If that's you here in this, this room this morning, you can say something like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and there is nothing I can do to save myself. I confess my complete helplessness to forgive my own sin or to work my way to heaven. I trust in Christ alone as the one who bore my sin when he died on the cross. I trust in his forgiveness and I believe that he did all that will ever be necessary for me to stand before you. Now, Father, I pray that we will rejoice with the angels in heaven. Let us as a church rejoice in the fact that your son or daughter who was once lost is now found. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing.